Welcome to the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast, where we discuss and translate the latest musculoskeletal research to help you keep up to date and improve patient outcomes. My name is Luke Perriton. I'm a physiotherapy educator and early career researcher in Monash MIU and in the Department of Physiotherapy at Monash University. So this episode is part two of a discussion with Associate Professor Peter Maliaris from our research group. And in episode one, Peter and I discussed the ICON or International Consensus paper on the most important domains that we should be assessing for people with tendinopathy. So if you haven't heard that one, it's worth going back and listening to that episode first. And in this episode, Peter and I discuss another paper published by the ICON Research Group. And this paper is called International Scientific Tendinopathy Symposium Consensus, Clinical Terminology. So try saying that twice. And you can find a link to the ICON paper we were discussing in the show notes or in the show description if you're watching the video version. So we end up having a more in-depth conversation about the various terminology related to tendinopathy and why consistency in terminology is important and how terminology can influence rehabilitation outcomes for people with tendinopathy. And these are some really interesting concepts and I really enjoyed the conversation and I'm sure you will too. If you enjoy the episode, please share it online to help us get this information out to more people. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And now on with the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast. I'm Luke Perriton, and this is... Peter, Pete, Petey. My mum Pete. calls me Petey, actually. Terrible, isn't it? Petey, I haven't heard that. I know, terrible. Uh, where I'm from, he's known as Associate Professor Peter Maliaris, <laughs> tendinopathy expert, and physiotherapist and clinician and tendinopathy researcher. But PT from now on, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you can't choose your nicknames. Terrible. Divulging way too much there, aren't they? So in this, in this next episode, we're going to follow on from a previous conversation we had, which was on tendinopathy. And as I mentioned, Peter's a tendinopathy uh, phys specialist, physiotherapist and researcher. And in the previous episode, we talked about the ICON or the International Consensus Statement um, from 2019, which was relating to the nine core health-related domains for tendinopathy um, to guide research and future research in the area of tendinopathy. And we talked about how that relates to clinicians who are helping people with tendinopathy to get better and to patients who have tendinopathy. And the logical place to go from there is to the clinic or to the person who has tendinopathy and talk about one of the other related papers that came out of that group, which was is called ICON 2019, International Scientific Tendinopathy Symposium Consensus on Clinical Terminology. So this is a paper that looks at the terminology associated with tendinopathy. And we're going to attempt to explain why this is important, why this should be important to you as a clinician and a patient and follow on from the research conversation we had to a more application conversation. So the first question I have um, for Peter, Associate Professor Pete Maliaris, or Petey, as he's now known, why was this paper needed? Why is it important? 
So uh, I guess the easiest way to describe it is that we, we need to, there are so many terms. There are so many terms in the in the literature for these uh, problems. So you have Achilles tendinopathy, Achillodynia, um, Achilles tendonitis. You have um, uh, you have Achilles tears, uh, tendinosis. There are so many different terms, and people, and it leads to confusion, and it leads to different treatments, and it also leads to um, uh, harm. So. We know we all know as clinicians and patients may have also come across the concept that uh, what with you know what 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 something is labelled influences what we think about it and uh, tear is obviously got a lot more um, I guess emotional connotations and connections than something like uh, you know um, tendinopathy or other terms that we could use so that that was partly um what we were trying to achieve but it was more consensus about okay so based on what we know what should we be calling these things um so 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 that was really the the idea yeah and in the previous episode we chatted about the icon group and the process that you went through because for, for those who haven't read this paper or you may you've got the link to the paper in the description and you can look at it but you may be listening to this because you want a summary and um, if, you, if that's you, then uh, we'll try to give you a bit of a summary and overview of um, what the most important parts are and why it matters. Um, but just as a, a quick overview, and you can go back and listen to the previous episode, um, how does it work? How do you actually conduct this research and come up with a consensus? And what's the, I guess, an, a double-barrel question, who's the audience of this paper? Who should be reading it? Yeah, so basically consensus is um, a very scary word when it comes to research and clinical practice because not many people agree on, not, on, on many things. And um, it's uh, the best way, the gold standard way of doing it is by a Delphi process. They call it a Delphi process where um, you basically get people that are really carefully selected so you don't have bias in how you select them to um, go through all the sort of current thinking and literature and evidence and try and get some sort of agreement and we and the cutoff for agreement is 70 percent so you have um, questionnaire and face-to-face meetings and you try and agree on things um, and it's all very you know trying to take bias out of it completely so all the voting is for example anonymous so we don't know what other people have voted i don't no one knows what i voted and no one and i don't know what anyone else has voted in those processes so it's all, all anonymous um and yeah you, you sort of try and come up with consensus the the audience for this is um really anyone who's interested in tendinopathy um, so it could be patients uh, wanting to know about the terminology or what sort of outcomes are the best ones to use. Um, but probably first and foremost, it's to inform research because we need to have research that is consistent. If we're all doing different things, it's very hard for us then to pull our research efforts and say, right, this is how we should be going. So the, the number one goal of the ICON group is to make research more consistent throughout tendinopathy and for us to be able to pull research. And I think that's really, really important if we're gonna progress 
but clinicians can also latch on to this and think, okay, th this is what I should be calling it. These are the terms that people recommend and also the outcomes they recommend as well. So it's sort of a clinical angle also. Mm -hmm. So even though the, the goal of the research or the, the purpose of the research is to improve the process of other research, if you actually, and for those who have opened up the paper and had a look at it, you can see that the way it's written is quite informative, instructive for, for a clinician or a patient. And you can, you can read statements such as, we did not agree on the statement that tendinosis refers to a loss of microstructure um, of the tendon. Tissue changes seen on imaging or histology and labels as tendinosis may represent a snapshot of a number of morphological processes with uncertain clinical relevance. So for a clinician who's thinking about the relationship between whether someone should get a, um, an ultrasound or have, have investigations, for example, there is value in there, even though the purpose is to improve the process of research, research um, yeah. there, is, um, there is plenty in it for a clinician reading this paper as well. So um, following on from that, what did you find? What are the most, what should we be calling tendinopathy and associated terminology? Right. Um, <clears throat> I feel like we need a drum roll here. Oh, good. I'll add that in later. <laughs> uh, basically, it's a bit of an, it is a bit of an anticlimax because what we decided was basically we should call it tendinopathy. And uh, that was pretty much across the board. So um, instead of calling it tennis elbow, call it lateral elbow tendinopathy. Instead of calling it golfer's elbow, call it medial elbow tendinopathy. Instead of calling it achillodynia or um, Achilles heel pain or, you know, call it Achilles tendinopathy. It so, takes a long time for ideas to change hmm. and, you know, particularly in clinical practice. Are there, uh, that seems to me to be fairly well established. Are there groups of people, groups of clinicians who are unaware of that, do you think? Do they still use the word tendinitis or is it, where, where is, where's the problem in terminology still? The problem is, that's a really, really good question because the, the, the problem is not tendonitis per se. Um, uh, the problem is, the problem is more so uh, people calling it, people confusing uh, pathology descriptors with clinical descriptors. So the problem is uh, that people will say, I've got Achilles tendinosis. Uh, whereas that is a ultrasound description tendinosis. It, right. It's not a. It's it is not a. It is not a clinical diagnosis. Uh, and the same with I've got an I've got an Achilles tear. Uh, that is a that is a largely a surgical description at this point because we still can't trust imaging 100% on. Uh, getting us a diagnosis of a tear. So that was the consensus anyway. Why is uh, that? Why, what's well, untrustworthy about imaging in that sense? Or where's its validity issues? Yeah, there's there's no consensus on what a tear is on imaging. Uh, so if you're looking at the Achilles tendon, often you'll have, um, you know, you might have a, a sort of discontinuous bit of, you know, uh, matrix where the matrix is, you know, sort of there's a black sort of discontinuous part going through it. 
Um, and some people will label that a tear, uh, but we have no evidence that it is a tear. Um, there may be some really obvious things that you think that is a tear, and probably most people would agree on that. But on the whole, we have no consensus on what a tear is on imaging. You use um, a lot of um, exercise, obviously education and um, assessment is a big part of what you do, but you, you use a lot of exercise to help people with tendinopathy. If I had a tendinopathy and I went to you and I, and I had it in my head that I had a, a partial tear or a tear versus having a, a, the word tendinopathy, I think I'd feel different about loading my tendon up with calf raises and hopping and the exercises that you prescribe. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely huge, huge, huge effect. And I see that I see that all the time in clinic. Um, you know, every week I'll have a patient who comes in, and uh, they're dominated. Their whole presentation is dominated by fear of pathology, and what they could do to that pathology if they load it. What that, helps with that fear, apart from um, you know getting consensus on terminology, and we all being we're all being consistent with that. How do you combat that, you and yeah. the patient as a team? Um, I just uh, forward them this icon paper and say, have a read of that. Consult. Here's some literature. Consult, <laughs> this. Consult finished. Here's, here's the bill. No, uh, yeah. look, look, basically um, it really comes down to, um, I guess, uh, going through uh, what we know about uh, the pathology and the fact that it's, uh, you know, it's still structurally, um, you know, structurally it's not compromised, even though they feel like they've been told, uh, you know, there may be a tear there or there may be something that uh, has been reported in a way that sounds very, you know, major. Uh, it probably isn't as, as bad as what they think. So it's challenging their beliefs around that and trying to back that up with, you um, with the evidence and, and what we currently know, um, that it's probably not going to rupture, uh, that it's probably not going to get a lot worse over time, that pain probably is not a sign that they're making it worse and worse. All those things can be helpful for them. But then I think there's, there's the education side of it, which often takes a while for it to sink in because you can't just necessarily expect someone as soon as you've told them that to go off and start hopping and you know, you know know forget about it. Uh, it takes a while to sink in. Uh, and I think what helps to help it sink in is a good, and that's how exercise I think is quite useful, is to build confidence in loading. So if you can start to then progressively load that person uh, within a safe sort of uh, pain monitoring framework, you can then give them the confidence that goes far beyond um, education, but also works with education uh, basically to reinforce that, you know, it's probably safe to load progressively. Um, so I think those two things together can be quite powerful. And, and that goes into the conversation, the topic of how does exercise work? Because um, I think a big part of it is, is building confidence in people. Once people have confidence, um, they, they may still have pain. And it takes a long time for that pain to change sometimes? Well, I guess that's a, f a first question. There's, some, there's a lot of variability in people's response to, to treatment. So some people would, is that a fair statement? Some people would take a, a lot longer to recover than others? Yeah, look, I, I think so. I, I think so. Um, um, it is quite variable. It is quite variable in terms of the time course and uh, 
some, for some people, I guess it's more complex. That's probably the word that I would use um, rather than variable. For some people, I mean, I have, you do see patients where, where confidence is their main problem. And it's like the Peter O'Sullivan, he talks about this a lot with back pain where, you know, within his sessions, uh, with within one session, he can get someone who hasn't bent over for 10 years to start bending again. Um, I've had patients like that with Achilles problems where within one session, they thought their Achilles was completely, you know, um, uh, stuffed and uh, they can then at the end of the session, they can hop. So the brain plays an enormous role in, mm-hmm. and um, so the psychology, as you mentioned, plays an enormous role in rehab. So my, my follow-up question from there was about, oh, so Can you, you go on. Yeah, sorry. Before you go on, just to finish that for, for clinicians and patients, but it's not that simple. Um, it's not that simple. And I'm sure Peter O'Sullivan is the same with back pain. He can't do that with every patient because for tendinopathy, there is no susceptive pain and sensitization uh, locally for some people, which you know needs to be addressed as well. And there are other factors. So it's not as simple as just, right, here you go. Um, you know, just uh, you can do this fine and hold their hand and they're all better. Uh, there's, there's, there's layers of things that you need to consider, including pain, including strength, including function. So, um, yeah, so I guess it's, it's, it's teasing out which elements are important for the individual. Mm. It's really interesting. So if somebody feels that any pain is, is bad, is harmful, and then they move through a stage of learning education and the realization that you have to load a tendon to some extent to to strengthen the muscles and to to improve and loading is going to so exercise is going to play a part in eventually getting better so what sort can you tell us about acceptable versus unacceptable pain and and how you educate people and how you conceptualize that because some pain is obviously Mm. you don't want too much pain but some pain's inevitable Mm. so Mm. How do you use that in the clinic? Yeah, look, it's, I think the key underlying message I try and get across um, and uh, is just to, just to accept that uh, pain, some pain is okay. Um, It's, um, it's hard to, it's hard to be more, it's hard to be very precise about it, I guess. It's hard to say, oh, you know, it must be four out of 10 or less. Um, even though in research we do that because you sort of have to in research have some sort of framework. Um, well, you don't, I guess you don't have to, but it's probably more accepted that we do that. And that's the sort of less, I guess, individualized approach that you might take. But in clinical practice, it's more about what do you think, uh, you know, if the pain is minimal and acceptable to you, it's probably okay. Um, and we talk in probabilities because everything's uncertain. And I think you do have to convey that to the patient. You have to say, look, we, we're pretty confident that if you've got minimal pain, you're not going to be uh, flaring yourself up. You're not doing more damage. That's completely fine. Uh, but it's um, um, when is pain a sign of danger and damage? Um, probably not for most people. <clears throat> but maybe in some instances it is because that's what pain is after all. So um, I think you do have to be open to uh, the uncertainty 
and uh, also expose patients to that as well. But be pretty confident that for most people with a long-standing tendon problem, uh, some pain is going to be okay. Well, that, I would see, I'm really disappointed because I was after a number out of 10. <laughs> but, um, but that actually it was a much better answer than the one I was I was going one. for. No, but, no, don't uh, give me one. 3.68. Perfect. That? Perfect. Now I'm happy. Well, I think uh, I'm aware you've got you've got another meeting on now. So um, really appreciate your time. And until next time. Yeah, look, that was it was good to go into a bit of a sideways direction there. Um, you've brought out some really interesting stuff in that one, Luke. So no, thank you. It's certainly something we can continue on with in the next episodes. And thanks everyone for listening and see you then or speak to you then. Bye. Thank you guys.